Hello, loyal voice readers and listeners. Will Shanahan here, excited to announce the debut of my podcast, Claims from Copenhagen. Claims from Copenhagen aims to be halftime sports coverage in podcast form of sports happenings beyond the front gates, over the hilltop, not on Georgetown University's campus. And halftime sports hasn't really had a podcast since the death of the semi-legendary sports sermon in the fall, and I wanted to change that fact. Today, I will be exchanging with my good friend Chris Beebe, an avid sports fan, an articulate sports fan, and we're talking about the men's Final Four um, NCAA basketball this weekend. We preview and pick the two games, Virginia against Auburn and Michigan State versus Texas Tech. Give you guys a couple bets to potentially target. But I just wanted this introduction to serve as um, a way of letting you all know what to expect going forward. I hope for this podcast to run once every other week with a guest or two, digestible enough at about 30 to 45 minutes, hopefully. And we'll just we'll just wrap about what's going on in the sports world. I'm very flexible as to what sports we're going to cover or maybe broader issues, maybe um, sometimes more far-fetched topics. Um, I'm really excited to see how it will progress. The title of this podcast came from the fact that the way I am, the way just the people that um, that I associate with in the voice are, um, sometimes maybe our, our claims will be exceedingly reasonable. Sometimes you might actually agree with them, but more often than not, um, our takes from our wild undergrad brains will be, we'll just leave you thinking that claim came from Copenhagen, frankly. And with that, I want to send it off to myself, Chris Beebe, and the first episode of Claims from Copenhagen. And now we welcome on Christopher Beebe, good friend of mine, Georgetown College 21. Chris is a Terrific guest year-round for podcasts like these because he knows his college athletics, he knows his wagering, but um, especially especially apropos today because he went to the Michigan State Duke Elite Eight tilt that uh, that I covered for The Voice. So without further ado, Chris, um, say hello. Hello to every, all our listeners. Um, yes, I was at the game on uh, Sunday. Uh, that was a bond burner, to say the least, I would say. But, um, yeah, I've always been a huge college basketball fan. Probably my favorite NCAA sport. Um, that's that's spicy, considering you're from the New Orleans area. Yes, that it, it is true. It is, it, being from the South, usually football takes precedence. But um, I have been a always been a basketball has been my first love. Um about our about the games though, I didn't go to the I didn't get to watch my Tigers play Michigan State on Thursday night. Um, was that Thursday? Or Friday. Friday. Friday night. Friday night. Excuse me. Um, but I had a feeling Michigan State was going to run away with that one. Um, I I think we have a lot to talk about Sunday's game because I think Duke got a little exposed. Yeah. So we'll we'll start there with the Michigan State Duke game because I think that's what everybody was looking towards obviously there were more exciting finishes but in terms of national eyes everybody was locked in on Izzo versus Krzyzewski and then just the Zion factor took it to stratospheric levels I agree completely I thought I thought Zion played excellently 
I would say in person, I was shocked by the body language. I had never seen him get so emotional. I mean, I know he plays with a lot of emotion, but the negative emotion, he looked frustrated the entire game. I mean, I thought I thought Mac McQuaid for MSU played an outstanding game. He great, did. Great defense and brought in a ton of points. Blue guy. Uh, Kenny Goins did an excellent job on Zion. I mean, Zion did not get any easy dunks. That's the whole thing, I think. But he shot the ball excellently. He showed he could step out and shoot it. I mean, what did he do? Hit three or four threes? He had, he had, no, he hit two threes. Two. Um, I think he I think he only attempted four. So um, nice nice clip there. So it shows he has range uh, when he when he needs to, and uh, that bodes well for his NBA future. Obviously, he's probably going to be number one overall pick regardless of what he showed Sunday. But I thought Xavier Tillman said post game Michigan State's big man um, Zion was going to get his just because of how talented he is, but they were going to make his every touch as hard as possible. They were going to keep him off of his right shoulder, and um, they, they did an incredible job of that. R.J. Barrett had probably a half dozen attempted entry passes picked off. Yes, and, a lot and of turnovers. Their half. guards, Winston and McQuaid, were always had hands in, Winst- in the lane. Cassius Winston was the X factor of the game. He won- he, I did not think he would dominate Trey Jones like that on the offensive end. He was getting away with a lot of push-offs. In person, I thought there was a few push-offs. They didn't, they didn't call in the entire game on him, but he really was the X-factor. I mean, how many did he put up? He put up 20. 20? Yeah, 20, 10 assists, 1 turnover. How's that for your point guard? You're going to have a good chance to win a lot of basketball games with that stat line. It's, that's very true. And, and I think, but I still wanted to get into with you, how did this Duke team lose? It's not like the uh, losing in the Elite Eight is devastating for them because Michigan State's one of the couple best teams in the country, probably the best two seed in the field. Um, hindsight helps there. But it's just like, how did this team with Zion? Because Zion was still so dominant, shot well over 50% from the field in both games, um, went for over 20, over 10 rebounds. So how did they lose with him? And I think... The answer there lies in, and he had a good game Sunday. I think R.J. Barrett is too ball dominant for Duke. Here's a fun stat for you. In the three games Duke lost um, this year, because it was the Gonzaga, Syracuse, and oh, UNC and UNC during the regular season, I guess. Well, well Vatek, but Zion was out. Yeah, yeah. I guess when they had the full team, full team. R.J. Barrett in the final minute of the game was 0 for 9, and teammates only took three shots. Zion took one of those three. And R.J. Barrett was 0 for 9 in the final minute of those games. And and Coach K gave him the green light to shoot the ball again. And I had an inside source at Duke, one of my uh, roommate's friends that came up and says the basketball players sometimes vet to people they know on campus. And the rumor was that uh, Cam Reddish was not a fan of R.J. Barrett at all. Saying that he was, I could absolutely see that extremely ball dominant, and wants to get his. Perhaps not. I think selfish is the word, but he's such a good player. You don't really see the selfish because it always wins. But I do think R.J. Barrett takes some very bad. He forced some terrible shots. He did. He did. The, the last shot when he went to the line was a terrible shot. He just got fouled. He well, did. no, he got hacked there. He did. But he did. but this is what happened. With forty seconds left, Duke was up one and had the ball. R.J. Had a hard time getting in the lane, put kind of lost control of the ball, put up a very bad shot. And so Duke, um, Michigan State gets the ball back, calls timeout, Kenny Goins hits that three. And then Duke ball again, it goes right back to Barrett. I, 
I love Shashevsky to death, but um, I think with the players he had at his disposal, he should have been more insistent, and that stat just goes to prove it, that Zion should have been getting the ball in those late-game situations. I mean, if we, we look here, there are five starters com- combined for 79 points. Seven, uh, not 79. Uh, what is it? 59. 59 points. But O'Connell did not score a point, did not take a single, a single shot. He barely played. But I thought Cam Reddish played 37 minutes, had eight points, and I thought he was a non-factor. Trey Jones had four points. Play, played the entire game. That was two days after... Reddish was out, and Trey Jones hit four threes. I, so it's like there are only so many secondary options that can that can get into the mix with Barrett with Barrett having so much usage. You're talking about a guy that's taking 17 shots when two absolute superstars in Jones and Reddish are taking five and eight respectively. And, I mean, Reddish was as touted a prospect coming out of high school as Barrett was. Yes, uh, agreed. And Reddish was playing injured. The ankle, I believe it was. Um... I get that I, I playing basketball. I get an, ankles are so important. If I mean, a weak ankle will literally change the way you defend and attack the basket, but just having I think I think it was a knee, but same same knee. principle applies. Yeah. I mean, just him being irrelevant. The only two go to scores were Barrett and uh, Zion, and Zion got his, and I thought he played very well. But Barrett, I mean, took as many shots as Zion, almost seven, 17 and nineteen respectively, so a little less, but. He just took some selfish shots, and he played the entire game. And I have a question which you say, do you think that experience trumps talent? So, Krzyzewski was asked this in the post-game presser, and he said he pointed right off the bat to Jay Wright's Villanova teams and how they were able to win two of the last three national titles. And it was by, you know, they didn't have these one-and-done stars, they had um, they had their veterans, and obviously they've built a sustainable, um, high high achieving program off of that. But take nothing away from Michigan State here. They yes, had a, give them all the credit. They had a great um, game plan. It seemed like Duke was going to keep escaping after after Central Florida, after Virginia Tech, but uh, Michigan State had the uh, had the veteran presence to kind of to to put it away. They weren't going to let they weren't going to let Duke uh, get the last shot. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think I. I think that goes to an interesting thing I've been seeing throughout college basketball for the past probably four years. Maybe the last—I can't name—the last team to win it with just freshmen, I think, is Anthony Davis's team. They won in New I think Orleans. That, I think that's true. And I think it's, it, uh, one team that I like in the Final Four that has the experience and is not one and done, and they've gotten a lot of grief over losing to the 16th seed, and that's the Virginia Cavaliers. But they're a team that— Bennett basically just runs through experience, hard defense, and does not do one and done at all, basically. There's no one and done to them, I'd say. And there's no, I mean, there are individual superstars, but they, they all work within the UVA system. And so it's not like you're going to have any guy on UVA taking, like, 25 shots a now, game. And I thought Michigan State on that last play, wide open three to, to for the lead, where you have, for Duke, what happens when they have the ball? Just give it to Barrett and try to run into someone in the lane. Yeah, so basically Michigan State had the blueprint for how to beat Duke, but you couldn't really say that Johnny Dawkins and Buzz Williams didn't. Their teams just couldn't get the, the right roll of the ball on the rim. Um, UCF. Down the stretch. Mean, 
a centimeter away from winning, and uh, Virginia Tech, an inch okay. away from sending it to OT. So I think, I think those two teams showed Michigan State exactly how to play Duke, and Michigan State is better than both those teams in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and they just they came to play and down the stretch, Michigan State, I think it was just better teamwork. Um. So okay. So that let's transition into the ACC team that that did make it. Um. Last four standing, and you just alluded to them, the Virginia Cavaliers getting over the hump with Tony Bennett. The redemption story is alive and well after we talked about this losing to University of you Maryland. You can't write this stuff. Baltimore County. And so, but they had an absolute thriller against Purdue. Carson Edwards put up the best individual tournament performance. I've seen it a long time. I can remember, honestly. He was I, shooting unconscious from three, I, pulling out from pulling out from NBA range on anyone. So I didn't think I didn't give Purdue much of a chance in this game. Um, probably because I didn't give them much of a chance in the tournament. Um, I thought they had too many spot up shooters. I thought Villanova would be able to hang with them. Um, but they they just wiped out Nova, and then they gave they gave UVA a hell of a game. All the respect to all respect to Carson Edwards. That guy was he was ten of nineteen from three, which sounds incredible. But like I don't know, it's like a, a rate it's rate little over fifty percent. But when you look at the actual shots he was taking, it's like he shot like eighty percent from three with the momentum yes. swings and just the difficulty of the shots. I, I mean Virginia. Hits the buzzer beater to send to OT. I mean, the guy makes uh, who made the who hit the who hit the Diakite. Yeah, he had the pass from um, that. The, they threw him the pass. I, I if I was the guy point guard, I would have shot that from half court. But he got the best shot they could, and that was a heck of a pass from uh, Keon Clark. Yes, and sending it to uh, OT. But I mean, it just Virginia has been great all year. I watched. I watched the two losses to Duke, and in both games they played it down to the wire. They're the best team in Ken Palm by a by a pretty sizable sizable margin. Yeah, I think they're a great team. Tony, their defense. They are just the most fundamentally sound team. Probably, I think they are the second to none. And Gonzaga was a very similar team to them. I mean, Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. You can't say enough about those guys. They don't look like anything. Um, when they when they trot out in warmups, but uh, I mean, in their starters. Had, those guys are gamers. Four of their starters were in double digits. We have 25, 24, 10, and fourteen. I mean, you can't have more balanced scoring than that. And I I love the way they play. They basically run it run through eight guys. They have Jack Salt down low. They have, I mean, they they have everything you need to be a champion. And so. What are we looking at with regards to their outlook this weekend? Well, their opponent, the Auburn Tigers, play the complete antithesis of the way they play basketball. Shoot as many threes as possible. Do, do not care about good shots necessarily. Just let it fly. So I think that's just it's just going to be defense versus offense. And I think I think Tony Bennett's going to devise a scheme, perhaps to slow the game down. Well, I'll be very interested to see how Auburn plays in a slow game, because I think that UVA is going to dominate the pace by slowing it down. I don't see them going up and down with Auburn. What do you think about that? I think UVA will be able to control the pace, and I think I'm not sure how comfortable Auburn's going to be um, playing that way. 
what I will say is that Kentucky Kentucky knows who they are at the same time, and they were more than willing to go up and down with Auburn. UVA won't let the same thing happen. I don't think UVA can. I don't. I've never. I haven't seen them in a game when they go up and down and score 80, 90 points. Oh, of course not. No, no, no. They will. They grind you down. Take soak up every inch of the shot clock. Um, but I thought the game um, Auburn versus Kentucky was a scintillating match. I mean, it only got to it only got to one hundred thirty points, sixty five aside um, in regulation. But um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a slower pace. Uh, and it's going to be a battle of the wills in in their game against UVA. I see UVA pulling it out. I think that I think down the stretch, it, I mean, Auburn has caught fire. They if if they live and die by the three, it's completely basically live and die. They if they're off, they're going to get killed. They'll like they'll the UVA will be easy by 15, 20 points. I think if but they're just going to keep shooting. So, I mean, it comes down to if they shoot the ball right. well. Um, Brown and Harper scored fifty of their seventy-seven, so it's like they're not as varied in their in their scoring. Who they can go to it um, as UVA is, and just because UVA doesn't put up huge point totals doesn't mean they can't score the rock. They showed as much. Um, they showed as much against Purdue. Yes, they definitely can score because they, they all five of their starters can just put the ball in the basket. And when you play as good defense as they do, you always have a shot to be in every game. Like looking at their game against UNC. That was the type of game that Auburn loves to play. They took 37 threes. They scored. Well, they connected on 17 of them, which isn't going to happen every time. But, I mean, they first half was neck and neck. Second half, all Tigers. All Bruce Pearl. 56 points in the second half. 97 for the game. But that was a game where UNC, sometimes people sleep on this fact, is that they play up and down. They want to run. Oh, yeah. Cause, but they they have an organized chaos to it where they lo- play up and down, but they don't make turnovers when they go up and down, where most teams tend to do that. But um, how many turnovers did UNC have in that game? UNC. 14. I mean, that's a lot, I think. Um, but it, it seemed like that Ar- they just couldn't stop Auburn from hitting threes. I mean, you give up 17 three-pointers, pretty hard to win. Uh, North Carolina hit 7, took 28. I think they tried to play the same exact pace, and they just could not keep up. And I, I think I think that's why I like UVA in this game as well, is because even if Auburn is hitting their threes, UVA, you know UVA is going to be making every shot as tough as possible with the pack line defense. And I, over 40 minutes, they're not going to be knocking down 45, 40% of their threes. No. And I think, I think one thing that people – sometimes don't realize that they wear you down and why does wearing down um matter because your legs give and on shots so i think the wearing down of uva is going to cause a lot of missed threes just uh but arbor showed resiliency and uh, i mean i mean they beat some squads on the way to the final four three kansas north carolina and kentucky i mean just the blue bloods of college basketball so I all I, all all withering in the sight of at the sight of Bruce Pearl of all people. Um, yeah. So respect respect for what Bruce Pearl's done. I got um, I got UVA advancing to the final in that game, but um, a heck of a job there. We can stay in the SEC because um, obviously they have the Final Four team that we are yet to talk about. But first, um, I w- I got the chance to see LSU 
um, your your the school that you love, um, the school that you've grown up with, football and basketball, um, and their their hoops program made big strides made big strides this year under Will Wade, but now he's in exile. Their situation's kind of in flux. Does Waters stay? Does Nas Reed stay? What do you think the future holds for Will Wade? What do you think it holds for LSU? It's tough. It's been a. They've been through a lot um, this year with uh, Wade Sims dying, um, getting shot before the 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 eve of their first practice. Uh, I, I'm I'm worried. I don't think Will Wade will return to LSU. Neither do I. I don't think you can. I don't think you can keep him in the role after what's transpired. I mean, it, he was pretty much incriminating evidence. I, 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 I we'll damn, be, damning evidence. Well, the trial is tomorrow, April third. It's tomorrow. I, I, I do believe the trial. He got subpoenaed, so he's going to be in New York. Um, we'd love to go catch that trial. <laughs> it would be a, be a wild one to be a witness for. Buzz up to the Big Apple. But I don't. If he doesn't come back, I don't. Nasreen is going first round. He's leaving for the NBA. I harbor no doubts about that fact. Tremont Waters, I I don't see him staying. He declared last year no agent would pick him up. If those two guys leave, with Will Wade not coming back, I don't see how they could get a recruiting class necessarily. It's going to be keep put them back in the Sweet Sixteen. Well, they still do have Javante Smart. Emmett Will Emmett Williams yes. was a former five star. They. Pulled in the third best recruiting class in the country last season. I'm not. I may mean, or may not have been illegally pulled in. Yeah. But it, nevertheless, those guys are still there. So we'll see how this trial pans out. Looking forward to the future. But they, they have nobody. They have no top 100 recruits coming in for next season. I I don't see. I think this was one of their best years. I mean, they hadn't been to. They went to the Final Four in 06 with. Um, Glenn, Big Baby Davis, Tyrus Thomas, all those Louisiana goons, but I don't, I don't see them necessarily getting back to the level they were on this year with all the stuff that is going on. Still a remarkable run, and I'm very proud of the Tigers. Yet, it, I, I think that perhaps the the corruption with the NCA recruiting is going to do them in, and I don't see that many good things on the horizon for LSU basketball. What's your take on that? No, I I'd agree with that. I think um, I think this was probably an aberration, and it may have been um, one that resulted from some illegal illegal activities. Um, but staying there, we got Big Twelve. Kansas was down a bit this year. Texas Tech filled that void. That's true. Kansas is what first time in twelve or fourteen years they haven't won the Big Twelve regular season. Uh Texas Tech, they defend like no one. I mean, they, they they get down on every possession and they make you work for it. They shoot they shoot the three well. Uh, Chris Beard is an excellent coach, veteran, a Bob Knight protege. Um, yeah, I think they surprise a lot of people. You can't say enough about this team because they were picked seventh in the Big Twelve preseason poll after losing Keenan Evans, um, Zaire Smith to the draft. They were bringing back Jarrett Culver and some um, and some question marks, and the fact that they're here is a testament to Chris Beard's coaching ability. You can't say enough about the job he's done. For I mean, consider this: four years ago, he was coaching at Angelo State. 
keep which that in I don't mind. know the I don't know the first thing about. I don't know I don't know their mascot. I he don't. took the no he idea. Took the UNLV job after um their his run with uh well his big win with uh Little Rock in the uh, NCAA tournament over Purdue yeah and then I mean Texas Tech poached him they they swept they um, he had been at Texas Tech before under Bob Knight as correct. an assistant. So uh, his daughters live in Lubbock. He wanted to get back home. But I mean, what a what a hire! And that guy is going to get paid this summer. I think. Um, I don't know if it's a fit given his southern roots and the bright lights of L.A. But I think if you just want a guy who's a straight up basketball coach who's going to be part of the next wave of great coaches after the Shashevskys, the Roy Williamses, um, the Izzos retire, I think Chris Beard is. I think Chris Beard's like a top three coach going forward with Jay Wright and Tony Bennett. And so I think UCLA should throw the house money at him. Yeah, and I think they will try to poach, but I don't see him leaving. Not after this. Um, yeah, well, Texas Tech's going to have to open up the pocketbook. He's getting paid 3.1 right now. Um, that might have to take a little hike. I think I think they'll hike it to five. I don't think they'll go higher than five. I think five's a lot. Uh, how much is Calipari getting paid? Seven ish, eight ish. Well, he just signed a lifetime extension. I think Calipari is getting. Um, I think he's getting like nine. But um, I think like the next highest, like Shashevsky at five and a half. The Texas Tech team, I was worried about in my bracket because people forget that last year they were an elite eight, elite eight team that lost to the eventual champions, uh, Villanova, correct? By twelve, um, they beat they beat they were the three seed again, beat Stephen F. Uh, Florida and Purdue, and they lost in Elite Eight to Villanova. So it's not like this team didn't have experience in the tournament. Um, but I was the the end of that game. I think we should discuss against Gonzaga because that game could have gone either way. And then the Italian man for Texas Tech, Moretti, uh, Moretti just lit it up. I mean, his family came in from Bologna. They he just <laughs> lit it up in front of them. I mean. Um, it, he was the difference maker. He he made the shots that needed to be made to win that game. He was Culver. Culver made a lot of uh, a lot of tough shots as well. L- looking forward um, to their well, first off, I had Gonzaga winning my uh, winning my NCAA tournament. Obviously, the mishap by Josh Perkins at the end cost Gonzaga dearly. Yeah. But um, an accident. But he'll live with that for a while. Take nothing away. Um, Gonzaga had a great year. Do you think Mark Few ever wins a title? It's hard. I, I just don't. I don't. It's hard when you play in the WCC. Well, I mean, they've been getting one seeds. It's not like the country doesn't respect them. That's true. But why? From a recruiting angle, are you saying? How, why can they not? But they got over the hump two years ago. I mean, a national championship. Yeah. Runner up. I mean, I can't say like this guy. He's just not getting the ring. But I do think they'll win one eventually. But. Definitely, I'd, I hope so because he's he's got he's got a lot of years in the tank. You can probably lump him into that conversation with Bennett, Beard, and Wright. Yeah, I think great coach. I think he's made made Gonzaga by far per, maybe one of the new new if you call it new money, um, new money, uh, blue blood of college basketball because they're not a really traditional. I don't think Gonzaga's no no yeah in the nineties early two thousands. I'd agree team. with that absolutely. But I do think he'll win one. But it, it was sad to see when a year when I truly thought it was their year. They came a few seconds short of having a chance to get back to the Final Four. And so looking forward towards Texas Tech's game with Michigan State, 
This is going to be interesting. This is going to be tight. I think a lot of people would agree. I think it's going to spread at two and a half right now. I think it's going to come down to the wire. I, I do think the Sparty pulls it out, though. You think Sparty pulls it out? Why? I don't... I don't. Do you see Moretti and those guys being able to hit the same shots they hit against Gonzaga? Because he was taking deep threes. I don't. I didn't see the offense needed to run necessarily down the stretch. I. I. I believe in Texas Tech, but I think the same experience, and I think Cassius Winston is gonna make big plays, and he's gonna find the open man, and I just think Michigan State hits those shots down the stretch. I think. I think Xavier Tillman and Nick Ward are going to be a load for Tech to handle in the post. That's true. They're gonna. They're just like Michigan State made Zion's touches tough. They gotta make. Um, they gotta make Nick Ward's touches uh, tough because as soon as he's going to that left hook, um, that's probably a bucket. But this is an interesting matchup. I think it comes down to I think you're probably gonna. I think Culver probably sees a lot of Matt McQuaid um, in defense. But as far as the point guard matchup goes, we we all know that the NCAA tournament is largely won by point guards. Um, oftentimes, yes, and I think it's a clear advantage for Michigan State with Cassius Winston. Yes, I think Mooney, uh, Mooney's going to be on him, a senior point guard for uh, Texas Tech, uh, Matt Mooney, but I don't see him winning that battle. If he does, I think Texas Tech gets that advantage, obviously, but the competitive edge goes to MSU. They're the favorite. Um, it's going to be tight down the stretch. I would be surprised if MSU runs away with it like a 10-point win. I, I don't necessarily see that because Texas Tech's defense is the ability to grind away. Because there were times when uh, Gonzaga would pull away, maybe you were thinking they were going to. Texas Tech just found a way to get a basket and stop them on get stops. So if they can get the stops in the final four-minute final four minute war of that game, I think they'll have a shot at the final. I think they miss a buzzer beater to win it. I think MSU pulls it up by three or four. Right, because I think I agree with you that I have Michigan State winning this game, but it's anything from clear-cut. Like, I think it, it, it could be just like those, just like that Virginia Tech-Duke game was. Like, it could be like a last, a last-second thing. Um, the over-under is set at 132.5. I know you had some thoughts about the first half over-under as a potential bet. For, I'm going, I think, first half under 61.5. If it goes up, I, I'd bet it today. If it goes up to sixty, anything higher than 61.5, bet it. Definitely go in on that because I think first half, these teams are going to be a little nervous, uh, both coming off huge wins over respective one seeds, Duke and Gonzaga, and I, I don't see both teams scoring 30 points in the first half. I think that maybe it's going to be a 31-28. It's going to be tight. You're going to be shaking your knees at the end of the first half. So, um, But I do think that that's going to cover. I think it will be under. And I like I like Michigan State minus one and a half in the first half. I think we, I, we've really talked a lot about um, just between the two of us personally. First half lines are very intriguing, um, often lucrative to bet uh, in the tournament because – you're not dealing with like foul shots pushing the spread one way or another at yes. the end of games. Um, the first half, the Gunners are out on the floor, and um, kind of the the superior team often um, often starts strong. Obviously, we didn't see that with 
Duke. Duke got off to a lot of slow starts in the in the uh, in the tournament, but Michigan State hasn't really been hasn't really been that team as much, especially since their game against Bradley. Um, like that Minnesota game, the uh, the first weekend they just dominated in the first half. So I think I like Michigan State minus one and a half in the first half because Texas Tech hasn't played in those 70,000, 80,000 seat stadiums before. Michigan State's been there before, um, or at least Izzo has. You remember that uh, that Ford Field game, and so they're going from playing in stadiums of 20,000 to playing in stadiums of 80,000. And I think I like Michigan State's uh, veteran experience. Keep in mind, games in Minneapolis, not too far from Lansing. I think Michigan they're going to travel well. They're the first uh, Final Four since 1415. They're going to travel better than Texas Tech. Fans. I was there. I was there this weekend, as we previously mentioned in the beginning. Um, yeah, it was. It was about. I think Duke had the edge. It was a little louder for Duke, of course. Uh, not surprising. Not a hard drive or flight from uh, Durham, but uh, yes, I do think Michigan State is going to have by far the competitive edge in terms of the fan base. Okay, so. We've broken down um, the Elite Eight games, given a little bit of a preview for the Final Four, and now um, as we wrap up kind of the whole enchilada, we're talking um, who's cutting down the nets in Minneapolis, assuming a assuming a Michigan State-Texas, uh, sorry, assuming a Michigan State-UVA final, who do you have... Um, coming home with the whole thing when it's all said and done. I almost picked Virginia to win it all. I'm in love with Sparty and the way they play. And it's hard to... I, my, my first instinct was to say Sparty. And I think Sparty's an incredible team. But I think if UVA can show me they can score against Auburn... I think UVA takes it home and has the storybook ending. I agree with you. I think I it's think... tough for me to say that because they're both they are they honestly are probably the two best teams in college basketball. They don't have the best talent, but they the be- they work together the best. Great coaches, and I think UVA brings this home to the shock of many because I think a lot of people had Tennessee uh, coming out of that region over them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I would agree with you because I would be worried about, if we assumed this matchup, I would be worried about kind of Virginia's guards with Winston and McQuaid. I think Winston and McQuaid had the edge there. And then I watched the Purdue game down the stretch. And Jerome and Guy, I could not have been more impressed with them. Yeah. They can make shots. The moment's not too big for them. And, 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 and I think... It's hard if you haven't played sports, but last year's loss was probably one of the hardest losses you ever could experience in a lifetime. Losing to a 16 seed. First ever. Making history. I think that this offseason and this entire year for them, there was just a different edge. Just a different breed of having that pain inside of them. So I think that sparks them. I think they just find a way to win. It'd be brutal to see them lose on that stage after making this great run, and for Sparty. It's going to be a heartbreaker for either team, but I think it comes down to the stretch. I think it's going to, final shot, probably three-point win, two-point win. And so, 
we do want to talk about the other teams in this regard because we've assumed a Michigan State UVA final to this point. Assuming maybe Auburn pulls the upset, maybe Texas Tech sneaks in, which could very well happen. Do, do either of those teams have championship medal in your eyes playing either of the teams that they could possibly face? I don't see an Auburn-Texas Tech final. I think that absolutely madness. If that happens, I just flip a coin to see who wins because that game's just going to be wild. But if it's Michigan State-Auburn, Michigan State. If it's Texas Tech-Virginia, Virginia. I think MSU or Virginia is going to be our national Texas Tech-Virginia would be an absolute... It'd be a dog fight. It'd be a bar fight. Just uh, just as brutal as it comes defensively, just going. So they may not, the, uh, it, whatever the under is, under probably be 100. It'd be a 50-50 game. <laughs> and, I mean, that game's, that's the crazy thing about UVA is they, they win. They re- win relentlessly, but they're, they're playing in these low-scoring games. So it's like, a, the, I mean, a couple threes either way could totally swing the tide it could, it could result in the national championship you're up by four points you're up by 100 in that game it's just it's like look at what happened with moretti like texas tech was able to slow gonzaga down enough where it just took a surprising big shot or two and now all of a sudden their wheels up to minneapolis and the zags aren't this is true if it is texas tech virginia it just we haven't seen really a champion like that since maybe, what, UConn, Kemba Walker days? Was that 11? A 11 seed coming in to win that? It, it'd be shocking to see one of those teams win it. An Auburn team that was struggling at the end of the year, losing at home to Ole Miss, a team that lost by 40 in the first round to Oklahoma, I, I, I can't bring myself to see that. I, I, can't, like, I can't predict that. I don't, I, even, don't, I don't think it'll be Auburn either. Personally, um, I thought their their wins to this point. I don't want to discount them, but it's like the Final Four is also a reset. Like these coaches have four or five days to kind of rally the troops, implement their game plan, and I think in the Final Four, whoever can prepare their players, these are eighteen to twenty-two year old kids, to play in such a raucous environment with so much on the line. I think it's the edge to Izzo there, certainly. But, um, I mean, Tony Bennett is – he's a coach. He's, a con- he's the consummate college basketball coach. And I think, I, think he'll have the, I think he'll have the forces ready, too. This would be – I don't see Bruce Pearl do- being able to do it. But, I mean, it, it'd be dumb to count out him at this point after now, Wednesday pulled off. Three Blue Bloods, they made history. I, yeah, I agree, though, that – it would be, they would shock the world if that happened. And so, there it is. This um, this concludes our episode. I hope you enjoyed. Um, I hope you enjoyed Chris and I's thoughts um, on kind of our experiences at the at the tournament in DC. Just what we saw in an absolutely wild weekend of Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight games, and. Uh, previewing the final four, previewing what's going to happen, um, maybe a couple wagers you could think about. As we all know, hence the name, we have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea what's going to happen, but um, we'll, be on the, we'll be on the edge of our seats watching.